0: At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, we believe theological education should be confessional. Because of our desire to identify with what Christ has done in his church throughout the centuries, we fully adhere to the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. This standard keeps us accountable and preserves us from novelty. For more information on how you can receive informed scholarship with Pastoral Heart, check out our website, cbtseminary.org. Welcome to the Man of God Network. The Man of God Network is a ministry of Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary in Owensboro, Kentucky. For more recordings, go to sermonaudio.com and do a search at The Narrated Puritan. On three previous occasions I've taught on the life of Adam Arm Judson, I knew that he went to Providence College in Rhode Island. At the time, he was a congregationalist, and I knew that Providence College became Brown University. And finally, I knew that Francis Whelan at one time was its president, and I have the official biography of Adoniram Judson in two volumes, an antique copy sitting up here on the shelf. But I've never looked into the foundation of the forming of Brown University, which we will do this morning. I'm reading from a book titled The History of Brown University with illustrative documents by Reuben Aldridge Guild. Was published in the year 1867 from Providence, Rhode Island. For some background information as far as colleges in America, Brown University, which was founded in 1764, is the seventh American college in the order of date. Harvard was the first, and that was founded in 1638. William and Mary in 1692, Yale in 1701 the College of New Jersey in 1746, the University of Pennsylvania in 1753, and Columbia College in 1764. Brown University owes its origin to a desire on the part of the members of the Philadelphia Baptist Association to secure for their churches an educated ministry without the restrictions of denominational influence and sectarian tests. The distinguishing sentiments of the Baptists it may be observed were at variance with the religious opinions that prevailed throughout the American colonies a century ago. They advocated liberty of conscience, the entire separation of the church and state, believers' baptism by immersion, and a converted church membership, principles for which they have earnestly contended from the beginning student of history will readily perceive how they thus came into collision with the ruling powers. They were fined in Massachusetts and Connecticut for resistance to oppressive ecclesiastical laws. They were imprisoned in Virginia and throughout the land, were subjected to contumely and reproach. This dislike to the Baptists as a denomination or rather to their principles, was very naturally shared by the higher institutions of learning than in existence. In year 1756, the Reverend Isaac Eaton, under the auspices of the Philadelphia and Charleston Associations, founded at Holtwell, New Jersey, an academy for the education of youth for the ministry. To him, therefore, belongs the distinguished honor of being the first American Baptist to establish a seminary for the literary and theological training of young men. The Hopewell Academy, which was committed to the general supervision of a board of trustees, appointed by the two above-mentioned associations, and supported mainly by funds which they contributed, was continued eleven years. During this period, many who afterwards became eminent in the ministry received within its quiet shades the rudiments of an education. Not a few of Mr. Eaton's students distinguished themselves in the professions of medicine and of law. Of this latter class was the late Judge Howell, a name familiar to the early students of Rhode Island College and to the statesmen and politicians of that day. Benjamin Stale, who graduated at the College of New Jersey, and who afterwards, in the year 1766, established a Latin school in Providence, was also a student at Hopewell. His daughter Mary, it may be added, was the second wife of the late Honorable Nicholas Brown, from whom the university derives its name. The success of the Hopewell Academy inspired the Friends of Learning with renewed confidence and incited them to establish a college. Many of the churches, says the Reverend Morgan Edwards, being supplied with able pastors from Mr. Eaton's academy, and being thus convinced from experience of the great usefulness of human literature to more thoroughly furnish the man of God for the most important work of the gospel ministry, the hands of the Philadelphia Association were strengthened, and their hearts encouraged to extend their designs of promoting literature in the society by erecting on some suitable part of this continent a college or university, which should be principally under the direction and government of the Baptists. At first, some of the southern colonies seemed to bid fairest to answer their purpose; there not being so many colleges in those colonies as the northerly. But the northern colonies having been visited by some of the association, who informed them of the great increase of the Baptist societies of late in those parts, and that Rhode Island government had no public school or college in it, and was originally settled by persons of the Baptist persuasion, and a greater part of the government remained so still, there was no longer any doubt but that, This was the most suitable place to carry the design into execution. Mr. Edwards, to whom reference is made in the foregoing, was a pastor of the Baptist Church of Philadelphia, to which he had been recommended by the Reverend Dr. Gill and others of London. He was a native of Wales and had been educated in his early youth as an Episcopalian. He received his academical training at Bristol under the Reverend Dr. Foskett, and upon the completion of a study centered upon the work of the Christian ministry. He arrived in this country on the 23rd of May, 1761. Possessing superior abilities, united with uncommon perseverance and zeal, he became a leader in various literary and benevolent undertakings, freely devoted to them his talents and his time, and thereby rendering essential service to the denomination to which he was attached. He was a prime mover in the enterprise of establishing a Baptist college, and to him, with the Reverend Samuel Jones of Lower Dublin, Pennsylvania, the details of the plan, it appears, were mainly entrusted. His labors to advance this object he always deemed the most important of his life. In the prosecution of the enterprise, he received hearty cooperation and substantial aid from men like Oliver Hart, and Francis Pellet of the Charleston Association, John Hart of New Jersey, the signer of the Declaration of Independence, John Stites, the mayor of Elizabethtown and father-in-law of Dr. Manning and from others of kindred, zeal, and spirit. The final success of the movement, it should be added, is as justly ascribed, to the lifelong labors of him who was appointed the first president of the college. On the 12th of October, 1762, the Philadelphia Association, then comprising 29 churches, met at the Lutheran Church in Fifth Street, where, says a record, the sound of the organ was heard in the Baptist worship. Mr. Edwards was chosen moderator and the Reverend Abel Morgan Clark. At this meeting, says the historian Isaac Backus. The delegates and friends obtained such an acquaintance with our affairs as to bring them to an apprehension that it was practical and expedient to erect a college in a colony of Rhode Island under the chief direction of the Baptists, wherein education might be promoted and superior learning obtained free of any sectarian religious tests. The leader selected for this most important work was James Manning, who on the 29th of the previous month had graduated at the College of New Jersey with the second honors of his class, and who had been formerly both a pupil and an assistant at the Holtwell Academy. He was only 24 years of age, but his extraordinary mental and physical powers were well matured and gave ample promise of that success in his chosen vocation and calling to which he afterwards attained. Of James Manning... His person, says a contemporary, was graceful. His countenance was stately and majestic. His manner enchanting. His voice harmonious and his eloquence almost irresistible. He possessed, moreover, genuine piety and a benevolence which beamed in every feature. And when to these varied gifts and accomplishments we add sterling good sense, for which he was preeminently distinguished, and superior learning— The wisdom of that choice which selected him as a leader and pioneer in founding and establishing a college or university will readily be seen and acknowledged. In the month of July 1763, James Manning, accompanied by his friend, the Reverend John Sutton, a member with him of Mr. Miller's Church in Elizabeth Town, New Jersey, and also an early pupil of the academy stopped at Newport on her way to Halifax to arrange the preliminaries for establishing in Rhode Island a seminary of polite literature subject to the government of the Baptists. Newport was, at this time, the most flourishing town in the colony and a center of opulence, refinement, and learning. Immediately upon their arrival, they made a motion, quoting the words of Manning in his narrative, to several gentlemen of the Baptist denomination, whereof Colonel Gardner, the deputy governor, was one relative to a seminary, and so on. The project was received with favor and at a meeting of its friends held at Mr. Gardner's house on the following day. Mr. Manning presented a rough outline or sketch of the design, the tenor of which was that the institution was to be a Baptist one but that as many of other denominations should be taken in as was consistent with the said design. A committee was accordingly appointed, consisting of the Honorable Josias Linden and Colonel Job Bennett, to draw up a charter agreeable to the proposed plan and present it to the next General Assembly with a petition that they would pass it into a law. These gentlemen— Pleading on skillfulness in a manner of this kind solicited the assistance of the Reverend Dr. Stiles, afterwards the distinguished president of Yale College. The manner in which this eminent scholar and divine nearly succeeded in defeating the project by drafting a charter at variance with the original design is fully related in Manning and Brown University— to which work is also to a subsequent chapter on the college charter. The reader is referred for details and illustrations. After various difficulties and delays and consequence of the determined opposition of those who were unfriendly to the movement, legislature or general assembly, held by adjournment in East Greenwich the last week in February 1764, granted a charter which has secured to the college or university for a century, Ample privileges, and which is undoubtedly, says Professor Kingsley, in the life of Ezra Stiles, in many respects one of the best college charters in New England. Its chief visions were the exclusion of all religious tests for applicants for admission and of all sectarian teachings in the college course, a quality of privileges for all Protestant denominations the choice of professors without regard to denominational views, and government by a president of Baptist sentiments, and a board of fellows and a board of trustees in which, though the Baptists were to have the predominance, other denominations in the colony were to be fairly represented. But though the colony of Rhode Island had been selected for the college, and a charter had been secured, no town stood prepared to welcome it in its infant state without students, without funds, and with no certain means of support. To the friends and projectors of the enterprise, it seemed therefore desirable that it should be located where the president might have an opportunity to preach in connection with a work of instruction, and thus secure for the time many a maintenance for himself and family." The two churches at Newport were already provided with competent pastors—the Reverend Edward Upham, a graduate of Harvard, and Gardner Thurston, whose meeting house and congregation were at this early period the largest, according to Edwards, of any connected with the Baptist denomination in New England. Church at Providence, although the oldest Baptist church in America had never been accustomed to contribute liberally towards the support of a pastor— with only 118 members living widely apart, with a small and uncomfortable house opposed to singing in public worship, and clinging to many prejudices and customs which it afterward threw off under the enlightened teachings of Manning, it offered but feeble encouragement to a seat of learning. Besides, the church was already provided with a pastor, the Reverend Samuel Winsor, who had been settled over them since 1759. Warren, a thriving town on the Narragansett Bay, ten miles from Providence, seemed to meet all the requirements of the case. Here were ample materials for the formation of a church, and here the leader in great educational movement of the Philadelphia Association would receive a cordial welcome. Mr. Manning, therefore, shortly after the granting of the charter, or about the middle of April 1764, removed with his family to Warren, where he immediately opened a Latin school as a step preparatory to the beginning of college instruction. The school, which soon became flourishing, he continued to teach or superintend for many years in connection with his professional duties and calling. In 1770, it was removed to Providence, and upon the completion of what is now called University Hall, was kept in the lower story of that building. Under the name of the University Grammar School, it continues at the present day to render most efficient service as an auxiliary to the institution which which called it into being. At the time of Manning's arrival in Warren, there were nearly 60 Baptist communicants residing in the place, the majority of whom were members of the Venerable Church in Swansea. The population of the village was increasing, and the time seemed to have come for carrying out their long-cherished plans and wishes in regard to the formation of a church. The zeal and eloquence of Manning as a preacher had attracted a large congregation, and not a few persons had become believers in Christ as the fruits of his ministry. Accordingly, on the 15th of November, 1764, A church of 58 members was organized, over which Manning was duly installed as the pastor. The relations, thus assumed, proved pleasant alike to minister and people. During the six years of their continuance, the church greatly increased in numbers and strength, while the college flourished under its fostering care. At the second annual meeting of the corporation held in Newport on the first Wednesday of September 1765, Mr. Manning was formally appointed president of the college, professor of languages and other branches of learning with full power to act in these capacities at Warren or elsewhere. This is the language of the record, which as has been playfully remarked, though not obnoxious to the charge of legal precision. Seems to imply on the part of the corporation no want of confidence in the variety of the president's attainments. In the following year, Mr. David Howell, a graduate of the College of New Jersey, who was afterwards honored with high political and judicial trusts, in the state of his adoption became his assistant. As funds were needed for the support of the instructors, Mr. Edwards, in 1767, visited England and Ireland for the purpose of soliciting aid, in which undertaking considering the times he was very successful. The original subscription book containing, among others, the honored signatures of Benjamin Franklin, Benjamin West, Thomas Penn, Thomas Hollis, Dr. Stenet, Reverend Dr. Gifford, Dr. Gibbons, and the commentator, the Reverend John Gill, constitutes one of the most precious documents in the college archives. Collections were also made in South Carolina and Georgia through the agency of the Reverend Hezekiah Smith, and also in the churches connected with the various Baptist associations. In the spring of 1786, President Manning, whose graceful deportment Thorough scholarship and wise and Christian character, he commanded him to all his fellow citizens, was unanimously appointed by the General Assembly of Rhode Island to represent the state in the Congress of the Confederation. This was during a crisis of depression and alarm, when the whole political fabric was threatened with destruction. He, however, returned to his college duties at the close of the year, being unwilling to remain longer away from the scenes of his chosen labors. With the momentous questions of the day, he was thoroughly familiar, and he afterwards, by his voice and by his pen, contributed very materially to the adoption of the federal constitution by the state in 1790. On the morning of July twenty-fourth, 1791, while uttering the voice of prayer around a domestic altar, Dr. Manning was seized with a fit of apoplexy in which he remained, but within perfect consciousness till the ensuing Friday when he expired in the 54th year of his age. The sudden death of a man who was universally esteemed and loved, and who had filled for so many years such various and responsible stations of usefulness and trust, produced throughout the entire community the most profound sorrow, reaching to every part of the city in which he lived. The college with which he had been identified from its infancy, the Warren Association which had been founded mainly through his instrumentality, the venerable Baptist church over which he for twenty years had been the pastor, the state whose counsels and deliberations he had often guided, and especially the religious denomination near to which he was sincerely attached, all lamented the loss of a great and a good man a vast concourse of people attended his funeral, and followed with weeping eyes his remains to the grave. That the death of a Christian minister and a teacher of science and letters who possessed none of the advantages of wealth, but whose later years, on the contrary, had been oppressed by economic solicitude and care, should produce a regret so universal and so deep, is a pleasing homage, adopting the language of Robert Hall on the occasion of the death of John Ryland, to the majesty of moral power and intellectual greatness. Here is an epithet. The voice of Dr. Manning was not among the least of his attractions. To its extraordinary compass and harmony may, in no small degree, be ascribed the vivid impression which he made upon minds. How potent is the fascination of a musical and expressive voice! How sad to think that in these days of almost universal accomplishment, this mighty instrument for touching the heart of man should be comparatively neglected. When in connection with a more careful culture of our moral being, the voice shall be raised to a more perfect manifestation of its powers. A charm hitherto unfelt will be lent to the graceful pleasures of life and an influence of almost untried efficacy to its serious occasions. In the discipline and instruction of the college, Dr. Manning was eminently successful. He secured the obedience of his pupils rather by the gentleness of parental persuasion than by the sternness of official authority. His instructions, which were always oral, never failed to command their attention and to leave upon the minds a distinct impression. Classical learning was his forte, and to the classics and their cognate branches, he principally confined himself. Well, that has been our short introduction to the foundation of Brown University. If you're interested in a further study of the life of James Manning, the same author previously wrote a book called Life, Times, and Correspondence of James Manning and the Early History of Brown University, Reuben Aldridge Guild, 1864, and even earlier than this period, and both of these books are available at books.google.com, A Life of Reverend James Manning, First President of Brown University, with a biographical notice of some of his pupils, 1839, William G. Goddard. Thank you for tuning in to this little historical sketch. This is Tom Sullivan of the Narrated Puritan, The Narrations now can be found on SermonAudio.com